Well, good morning, saints. As you're taking your seat, I invite you to turn to Colossians or scroll to Colossians chapter 1. So this morning, we will continue and complete our little passage on Christology in Colossians chapter 1. Christology is the study of all things that are true about Christ, who he is. And what he has done, what he is doing, it is arguably the most important aspect of theology for us. The story of Christ is the story of the New Testament. This morning I want to endeavor to show you just how amazing your Savior is. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is a day of judgment. And Christ is the one who rescues us and brings us into the family of God. We are told to grow in the knowledge and in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is what Christian maturity looks like. It is the focus, the core of discipleship. So with that in mind, Paul endeavors to deliver a tour de force to explain just who Jesus Christ is. Who is he, really? Why did he come? After praying for the Colossians, Paul makes it his first priority to give clear teaching on the person and the work of of Jesus Christ. He leaves no room for anyone to imagine that Christ is merely just another good guy, another teacher, another rabbi, another person bringing a solid personal ethic. Of course, he did all of those things, but that is not the sum total of who Christ is. He is before all things, he created all things. In fact, all things were created by Him and for Him, and in Him all things hold together. Furthermore, Paul will use intrigue to bring us in, to draw us in, to understand who Christ is. Three profound statements. He is the image, Paul says, of the invisible God. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That is a statement you will not find anywhere about anyone else in all of God's word. He is the firstborn over all creation. He not only preceded creation, not only did he create all things, not only is he the glue, if you will, that by his power he holds all things together, it all belongs to him. He is the rightful heir. It is all for him. If you have your Bibles, turn briefly to the last book In the Bible, Revelation chapter 5, speaking of Christ being the heir of all things, all things are for him and through him. This is Revelation chapter 5, the first few verses. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back. That is the title deed to the entire universe. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who is worthy? Who is the heir of all things? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I, John, began to weep loudly. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll, the title deed, or to look into it. Ah, but one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, there's one of your behold statements. Behold, look at this, pay attention. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Christ is worthy. Christ is heir of all things. All things are for him. Now beyond this, he is also said to be the firstborn from the dead. These are such unique and compelling descriptions for Jesus Christ. What does it mean when we say that he is the firstborn from the dead? It does not mean that he was the firstborn to the first to rise from the dead, because we know others have as well by God's power. But the people that were raised from the dead by the power of God, well, they eventually died. And I'm not going to stake my eternity on that. Which is why the scripture says that Christ is the firstborn from the dead, meaning he is the first to be raised from the dead to never taste death again. Because death has no jurisdiction over him. Now, saints, I am in Christ. That is the truth of the gospel. That is the hope of the gospel. So this morning, we continue our journey through this brief passage. It's like we're taking a wet towel and we're just wringing as much truth out of it or water as we possibly can. I'll read our sermon text, which is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. But we'll begin preaching in verse 19, but for context's sake. Verse 15, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth 
or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Now, there's something that I'd like to point out to you that you will discover as you read through your New Testament. We often find key concepts right side by side. When you see extended passages that speak to the person of Christ, that explain who he is, that show his deity, oftentimes you will find connected to the person of Christ, the work of Christ, to understand what he has done or what he is doing. Because Christ could only do what he does for us because... Of who he is. We call this the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You cannot separate the two. You cannot have a correct view on who Christ is and then miss it when it comes to what he has done for us. These two twin truths go together. They are inseparable. They are twin towers of theology to help us understand what the New Testament, even Christianity, is truly all about. So it will come to no surprise to you this morning that as we talk about who Christ is, Paul very naturally will continue and shift his focus and tell us what Christ has done, what his work is. We cannot get this wrong because this is the gospel. He will tell us in powerful words what redemption is all about. So our three key concepts this morning, the deity of Jesus Christ, that means that Christ is God in human flesh. Reconciliation, a rich gospel term, reconciling sinners to God. And redemption, another beautiful gospel term, glorious Christian gospel-centric terms. So now verse 19 is essentially a summation of everything he has said to this point. In almost every conceivable way, from every angle, every different direction, Paul shows us the deity of Christ. He is not, he is not just another prophet. What a profound statement he makes. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in bodily form. Now, my friends, there is absolutely no question whatsoever regarding who Christ is. He is God. He is Lord. Here we have the mystery of Christmas, the advent of the Christ, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. Fully God and fully man. This is not some unique Christian made up thought around a campfire as the disciples were trying to figure out, now what do we do now that he's dead? This is everything. 
that the Hebrew prophets told us time and time again in the Old Testament. This is the truth of your New Testament come to bear fully in full view in your New Testament. And it's all tied so neatly together in these two verses. Now think for a moment. The Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, the prophets of old. Isaiah called him the Messiah. Isaiah called him mighty God. Jeremiah called him the Lord. Micah said that his days were from eternity. Malachi. Malachi said, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. There is no prophet ever, ever in God's word to have these descriptions of them. And I have to tell you, this is why I love theology. This is why we should love theology. The study of God. The truth of God. The truth of the gospel. The truth of all that God is. When I started college, my personal walk with the Lord just exploded. I was raised in a fine Christian home, in a Christian church as well. But as I began my own walk as a young adult with the Lord, the more I learned, the more I wanted. There was a hunger. Because I began to see how all of these stories that I had learned as a kid, how all 66 books of God's Word fit together seamlessly. 1,500 years. Over 40 different authors. All different walks of life. And they're all speaking of one central truth. So here is the New Testament simple truth. That Jesus Christ is God. He dwells in human form. He came to us. He lived among us. He is not a step above the other prophets. He created them and he will judge them. Jesus is said to be the judge of the living and the dead. He is the one in Matthew 7 who says, depart from me. I never knew you. Having made it unmistakably clear who Jesus Christ is, Paul will then go on to tell us what Christ has done for us. Why he came in the first place. And though I tend to put his works in the past tense, the cross, obviously his works are ongoing. It is true that Christ was the master teacher. He showed us how to live. He revealed in greater detail than anyone ever could the very heart of God regarding the law of God. He showed us to see the he showed us the heart of God in the Old Testament. He truly showed us a better way to live and a high Christian ethic, but dear friend, that is not why Jesus came. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Things are not right. He came to put them right. 
There is a chasm between God and man. Creation itself groans under the curse of sin. So Christ came to reconcile all things to himself, including creation. Reconcile is such an important gospel term. We often think about ourselves that we do not need to be reconciled to God because we're good people, generally speaking. But the truth is that sin is a deadly scourge. We are all under the righteous wrath of God because of our sin. Now remember, reconciliation is when you take two or more parties and you bring them together. There's an offense, there's a disagreement, something is happening that is keeping these two parties separated. In our case, we were the ones that needed to be reconciled to God, who is holy and righteous and just. It is so easy to minimize the reality of our sin, but the truth is, sin is a sickness and a disease at the very core of our being. It is not simply that we do sinful things from time to time, but our very nature, if you will, sin resides. We most naturally follow the devil and his ways. The Bible says that we walked in darkness before knowing Christ. The Bible says that we did not share the very life of God, but that we needed to be reconciled to God. And that, my friends, is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. The good news of Christ begins with bad news. We have a problem that we cannot solve. We have a problem that we cannot rectify. We cannot do this by ourselves. So Christ came to rescue us, to reconcile us to God. That is why Jesus said in the very first sermon that he gave, The Sermon on the Mount. The very first words from his mouth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. When we humble ourselves. When we acknowledge our own sin. When we do not excuse or justify it. But when we perceive our need. And turn to him. To meet that need. Indeed, Christ himself removed the sin that was the offense and that was the problem. Feel the weight of this truth in what Paul said to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. Listen to these words. Therefore, we, believers in Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal in and through us. We implore you. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. This, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. We have a need. Christ has come. 
Turn to Christ. Turn to the Lord. Be reconciled to the Lord. Now back to our Colossians passage. Notice the very next thing that Paul speaks of. Redemption. Paul says that Jesus made peace through his blood. If Jesus made peace through his blood, through dying on the cross for us, that tells us that there actually was no peace between us and God before Jesus died on the cross. Which is why the issue of sin must be taken so seriously. This is the part that cuts to the very core of the gospel. Reconciliation and redemption. Redeem means to buy out of, to purchase out of. Reconciliation and redemption, it is by nature a messy process. God cannot simply snap his fingers and sin is gone. He simply cannot just say, okay, that's fine. Let's just start all over again. Everybody gets a prize. Everybody's in. No, because that would do harm to his justice and to his holiness. Praise God. He is merciful and compassionate and he has made us a way. He has offered redemption that was so costly to him. It cost him the very life of his son. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Jesus collapsed under the weight of carrying his own cross, which was actually your cross. There are so many today that would want us to think that we are truly not that bad, that God doesn't mind, it will all work out in the end. But friends, that is not the message of the Bible. It is not the message in the beginning. It is not the message in the middle or in the end. When we talk about the amazing love of God, we are not speaking to the idea that God just turns a, a blind eye to our sin. Quite the opposite. He sent his son Jesus to suffer and die on a cruel Roman cross. There is peace between me as a believer in Christ and God only because of the blood of Christ. How often we wink at sin. How often we don't take it that seriously. Look at culture today. That which God clearly calls sin we not only accept but we now celebrate. This is something that we can count on in the world. The world is walking to the drumbeat of the devil. That is not to say that there are not good people in the world who are doing some good things. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. Allow me to take you back to Paul's letter again to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. I read the other verse. Now watch how he continues. For our sake, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the best deal ever. This is beautiful. 
when we understand who Christ is and what he has done for us. Jesus, who did not even experientially know what sin is, he became sin on the cross. He absorbed and he suffered the wrath of God on my sin in himself. Did he not cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he stood in the place of sinners. Now, saints, I know that we have talked about theology today, things that are by nature very serious. Not, they don't really make for light conversation. Only Jesus could be uh, who he is. Only Jesus could do what he has done. Rest assured, where the Spirit is at work, he will always lift up the name of Jesus. He will always put the spotlight on the Son. Who he is and what he has done, we will be awakened to the reality and the depths of our sin. But before we can despair, we see more clearly the beauty of Christ, our all-sufficient Savior, who took our sins upon himself. This passage goes on in the next several verses to detail the redemption of Christ that we'll look at next week. But I'd like to leave you with a very profound thought that might very well escape our attention if we're not careful. It goes to the very core of our being. Think of what Jesus endured on our behalf his suffering his betrayal the mocking and remember that he voluntarily did all of this for you and for me i'd like to point your attention to a very important phrase in verse 20 verse 19 sorry For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It pleased God to send his son. God was pleased for the God-man to live among us and then to die for us. It gave him great pleasure to love us in the most profound and beautiful and tangible way. He did not feel obligated to do so. He did not do this because he felt he had no other choice. Well, I guess I'll do this. Dear saints, he sent his son willingly And with great pleasure, because he loves us. Jesus said he willingly lays his life down. As I close out today, I want you to reflect on the love that God has for you. The pleasure that he takes in you. The joy that it gave him to send Jesus 
that we might be redeemed and that we might be reconciled. Let that love wash over you. Let it sink in deep. He knows absolutely everything about you and he still sent him. He knows everything. Look, he knows every dumb thing that you've ever done and every dumb thing that you will done as long as you do as long as you have breath. But then I want you to ask this question. Am I a conduit for the Lord's love? That's how all of this is supposed to work. God sheds his love abroad in our heart. And then we, by our love for others, show that we are followers of Christ. So action point for this week. Who can you show love to? Remember, love is not a fluffy term. For Jesus, he was pinned to a cruel Roman cross covered in his own blood. Who can you show unconditional God love to this week? With whom can you be patient? To whom do you need to offer forgiveness? Who can you show generosity to? Who can you invite to your table who perhaps now is off by themselves? Remember that God loves you and takes such joy in you. You have been given a seat at God's table. You have been adopted into his family. Now you go and do likewise and show that love to other people. God is the one who invites people to his table, but you know what I'm saying. Show that love to the people around you. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? I do invite you to take a few moments, as I said, and reflect on that perfect and beautiful love that God has shown you. Know that He takes great pleasure in you. Know that He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Ever. And He will on that great day conform you fully and finally to the image of of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the hope of the Gospel. We who have placed our faith in Christ and in Christ alone fled to Him for refuge. That is the beauty of the Gospel. Now that love that you have received, go and share that with other people. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks this morning and praise Thank you for so great salvation. Thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Thank you for the hope of the gospel. When we come to the end of ourselves and we stop making excuses, we stop rationalizing, we stop explaining away our sin. 
But we turn to Christ, an all-sufficient Savior, and put our faith, our trust, our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who suffered for sinners, died, was buried, and rose again. Oh Lord, I pray that you would revive and refresh us this morning. That we would see afresh your beauty, your holiness, your glory. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.